0: This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Before we read the passage, I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What is your greatest fear You've probably seen those studies where people are surveyed and a list of the greatest fears um, are enumerated. And one popular study uh, that was done like that, people were surveyed and they said that their greatest fear was standing up and giving a speech in public. So I'm living out some of your greatest fears. I'm scared to death. I'm living out some of your greatest fears just by being up here. This is the greatest fear. Of some people. In that same survey that said public speaking was the greatest fear, it rated death, the fear of death, as the third greatest fear. What, what, a, what a survey, people. My greatest fear is to stand and give a speech. My third greatest fear is death, which led the theologian Jerry Seinfeld to say, <laughs> So you're telling me. That at a funeral, most people would rather be the guy in the coffin than have to stand up and give a eulogy. The fear of death. I don't believe that survey is accurate. Primarily because many of the other things that appear on the ranking on that survey have to do with death as well. So for instance, the fear of flying is uh, ranked as a high fear. But it's not really sitting in an airplane in the air that's, that's fearful or scary. It's that the airplane might crash and you would die. That's what's fearful about being in an airplane. Or the fear of heights. It's not just being in an elevated location that's fearful, but it's that from that elevated location, you might fall and crash and die. Or another fear on the list is the fear of deep water. Interesting, not shallow water, but deep water, because the fear that is in deep water, you might somehow drown and die. And when you think about it, really, what greater concern does anyone in the room have greater than death? Death is coming, and there is no escape, no escape from death, no matter what your age. Many people die young. You could be older in the room and may have a number of years left in front of you, who knows, but age does not, it does not mean that you will not die soon based up on your age. Race it does not matter what your. Death is not racist in any way, selecting and preferring some races over others. Death comes to all regardless of ethnicity. Your wealth, you cannot buy your way out of death. You may be able to prolong your life uh, with health care or something, but you will not ultimately be wealthy enough to escape death. Intelligence does not uh, avail you to escape death. You will not outsmart or outwit death. You can't be smart enough. You can't be healthy enough. It does not matter what's on your resume. I don't care what you've accomplished. The greatest accomplishments in the history of the world were fulfilled by people who now have a marker in a graveyard somewhere. Your accomplishments will not cause you to avoid death. Your skills, there's no ninja skill for escaping and evading death. You will die. And death really is is our greatest concern because death is our greatest enemy. Death is the greatest enemy to life. And if you don't think death is the greatest enemy to life, then just speak to someone in the room who's recently lost someone. Ask them. Ask the bereaved person in the room today, is death the great enemy? The grieving person today. They're the person that didn't laugh at the Jerry Seinfeld Joke earlier. And I certainly wasn't seeking to be insensitive if you're grieving today at all by a joke about a casket and a funeral and death. It's just the humor of that joke was found in the absurd idea that anything would be a greater threat than death to all of us. Our greatest fear, our greatest concern, our greatest enemy, death. So, happy Easter. Why am I talking about death today? Because Easter is the ultimate anti-death story. The account of Easter, the story of Christ's resurrection, is a death-defeating death-dominating, death-annihilating story. It is the account of life. It is the story of life. It is God's antidote to death and God's provision for eternal life. And here's the idea I want to run with today that's going to be found in this text. Because death is our greatest enemy, Easter delivers our greatest hope. Because death is our greatest concern, our greatest enemy, our greatest fear. Easter delivers our greatest hope. And that's found in the passage that we're reading right now. 1 Corinthians 15, verses twenty through 26 now I know this passage is a bit dense if you're unfamiliar with the Bible there's some unfamiliar terms that I'm going to unpack and explain in just a minute if you're familiar with the Bible some of this text is a bit perhaps hard to understand at first but what we're going to see is the truth is so profound that when Paul wants to talk about Easter with the Corinthians this is where he goes when he wants to talk about resurrection, this is where he goes, and so we are wise to follow his lead uh, because he was inspired by the Spirit when he wrote these words. So hear the word of the Lord, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet the last enemy to be destroyed is death now paul is explaining to this group of christians in the middle of the 1st century Um, that people will be resurrected in the future. He begins the chapter talking about how Jesus died for our sins and was raised to give us new life, to forgive us our sins. He says that Jesus appeared to many. Uh, This is so important because this document was written while people who had seen Christ were alive. It's a claim that could be checked out to say that he appeared to many people. The indication is that many are alive. This is not written 100 years or 200 years after The resurrection of Jesus. Uh, This is written maybe 15 or 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, so witnesses are still alive. And now he shows why Easter is the great hope and antidote to death. Here's the first point he makes about why Easter is our great hope it is that Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And he shows this through two analogies that may be a bit unfamiliar to you, but they are powerful analogies uh, comparing Jesus' resurrection to our own. The, f- the first one is called the first fruits analogy. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So, what is first fruits? Well, if you were a Jewish farmer in the first century, and you planted your crop, here's what you would do. When the very first uh, ears of grain uh, you know, were ready to be harvested, you would harvest the first ears, and you would take that very first part of your crop, called your first fruits, and then you would bring that and give that as an offering to God, thanking him for all that he had provided for you, and thanking him for the harvest that was yet to come. So it was just the first part of the crop Offered to the Lord. So here's the key of that analogy. Those first harvested crops served as a proof that there was a future harvest coming. And so Paul's analogy is this Jesus' resurrection is the first resurrection. His resurrection is like the first bit of grain that is harvested, and there is a huge harvest that is to follow, a huge harvest that is yet to come. He is the first to be raised and he defeats the power of death so that those who believe in him may know for certain that one day they will experience the same physical resurrection that Jesus experiences. The first fruits analogy emphasizes certainty. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, those who believe in him can be certain that they will experience the same resurrection with certainty. First fruits guaranteed there was going to be a harvest coming. If, if the pests uh, got a hold of the crop and it didn't live, there'd be no first fruits, But if the first fruits are harvested, there will be more. And so you think of that analogy and you say, just as Jesus rose, so will those who follow him certainty. And it also emphasizes sameness. Um, The the first fruits are the same as the fruits that remain to be harvested. The only difference in Jesus' resurrection and your future resurrection, if you're a Christian, the only difference is timing. That's what separates your resurrection from Jesus. His, his is the first fruits. You are part of the harvest to come. So here is the Easter hope in that analogy. Because he rose from the dead, we who believe in him will also rise from the dead. Because death is our greatest enemy, Easter delivers our greatest hope. The hope that this is not all there is, but there is an eternity in a resurrected body. Here's the second analogy. We could call it the Adam and Christ analogy. So his resurrection guarantees ours. First fruits and now Adam and Christ. Look at verse twenty one. For as a man came I'm sorry, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Just as death came from a man, so resurrection comes from a man is what he's saying. But now he's introducing a new person, a new character in the story. See, the Bible is one long story. It's a one, one storyline, and it begins with Adam and Eve. And so Paul goes there to make a point. He goes to creation, and he says everyone in Adam dies, everyone in Christ dies lives. It goes back to the creation of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created. God created the world, spoke it into existence. Something came from nothing, which could only happen with God. So something comes from nothing. God speaks into existence the earth. He creates man, male and female, Adam and Eve. He places them in a garden paradise of perfection, where they have a perfect relationship with God and where they have a perfect relationship with one another. And this world is flawless, it is, it is immaculate, it is glorious, it is, it is, well, it represents the hope of all of our, our hearts, a perfect world. God tells them they may eat of any fruit of any tree except one, and if they eat of that tree and defy him, then they will eventually die, and everyone who comes after them will die as well. And so what do they do? Well, they want to be like God themselves. They don't want to remain as servants to God. They want to become like God. And so they do what they want and they eat, which was sin. And what happened? They tragically died following that. And what happened after that? Everyone has tragically died in the human race since then. Their sin... Adam and Eve's sin in this perfect garden, their sin has affected the world, and so it has affected us all. But here's the key. It has not only affected us, it has infected us. We are all born, this passage says, everyone in Adam dies. We are all born in solidarity with Adam. We are all born in union with Adam. We are all born in relation to Adam. Now, I know this is a foreign concept. It may be hard for us to grasp this. It might be hard for us to understand this because we breathe the air of individualism. If you're in Western society, particularly American culture, it is so thick and so real, it's like a fish in water. We don't even see it, and we don't even know it. And many cultures don't live this kind of radical individualism. Many cultures don't experience this kind of life, but they understand the solidarity of being linked to someone beyond ourselves, Hard for us to understand, but here's the point: that the actions of a representative affect everyone. That's the illustration. The sin of Adam affects everyone. Maybe a, a sort of... Uh, oh, I don't know. Kind of a sort. Of, when we're talking about life and death, eternity, and that, this is a little crass of an illustration. But team sports serves as an illustration of this. If you are on a soccer team. You are in solidarity with the team. You are in union with the team. You are part of the team. You are a member of the team. And individual performance affects the team. So if a team member kicks a goal, you get a goal. If a team member kicks a goal, you have, uh, you participate in the victory and the joy of that goal. If that's the only goal scored in the game, then because one person scored a goal and one person won for the team, the whole team wins. And the same is true when a player commits a penalty. When a player commits a penalty, the entire team is in solidarity with that player and, effect, and, and tastes the effects, the consequences of that penalty. So that's exactly the idea that is behind here. We are all born on Team Adam. We're all born on Team Adam. We're all born, on team Adam. We're all born under the effect of the fall. And this is the most objectively verifiable statement. All you have to do is look at your own life and realize are, things aren't the way they are supposed to be. All you have to do is look at the world. All you have to do is look at the culture. All you have to look, do is look throughout history and you'll see that things are not the way they are spo- supposed to be. There is a brokenness that, not only is out there, but is in here as well, within each of us. And it is the verifiable demonstration of what it means to be born in Adam and to be born under the shadow of death. As I talked about earlier, death is coming to us all. We see it every day. Think about your own life. Think about the world around you, and you see what it means that the human race is, as Paul says here, in Adam, for in Adam all die. Think about your own life. The deception, stealing, greed, pride, lust, adultery, abuse, selfishness, drunkenness, materialism, ungratefulness, disrespect and disobedience to parents, judgmentalism, racism, nationalism, self-righteousness, apathy toward the poor and the needy and the hurting, jealousy, gossip, unbelief, anger, idolatry, which the Bible says is putting anything before God We are all idolaters according to the Bible and on and on. And we look at the world and we see that it is broken and the same with ourselves. We confirm daily that we are in Adam. We confirm daily, objectively, demonstrating what the Scripture claims to be true about humanity. In our own behavior, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. And disobeyed the Lord. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In Adam, all die, verse 22. We all are deserving of physical and spiritual death because of our sin. And we know from scripture and from experience that everybody dies. We know that from experience. But this passage makes clear this truth that not everybody's in Adam, there's another team. There's another representative. There's another one to be in union with, to be in solidarity with. There's another one besides Adam who's redeemed what Adam broke, who's redeemed the fall of Adam. There is another representative for in Adam, verse 22, all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Those who are in Christ will be made alive. Another team, another representative, and another future. Everyone is represented, represented in Adam or in Christ. This is how the Bible speaks of the nature of humanity. And the representative determines the fate for the whole group. And so everyone is born in Adam. We are on his team. And you know what? We act like him. We employ our free will, and we choose to be our own God just like he did. There's a family resemblance in every human. You can see it. And if we're honest, we'll see it in ourselves. We freely choose to sin like him. We are responsible like him. We are guilty like him. We all will die Like him as well. Those who believe in Jesus, who believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, that he was fully God and fully man, that he died on the cross, took our sins up on himself, and that he died as a substitute for us, demonstrating both the holiness of God but also the love of God, giving himself for those who could not free themselves. He comes to rescue those who would turn from sin and trust in him. We receive the promise of resurrection and eternal life. And the reason this is called grace, that is a gift that we do not earn or deserve, is because eternal life is not earned by what we do. It is received through whom we are united with. It's not what you do. It's are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Are you responsible for your sins or are you receiving the gift of one who forgives your sins? Listen, we divide humanity in a million different ways, by race, by language, by gender, by socioeconomic background, by country, by profession, by perspective. We, we, we divide people in so many ways. Here's what you need to know. The Bible defines people in only two ways. does not matter your religion, does not matter your gender, does not matter your background. It says there's two kinds of people. There are those who are in Adam, which is Everyone who's ever been born. There are those who are in Adam, created in, his Im- created in the image of God. Image bearers of God who choose to go their own way. And there are those who are in Christ. Re- image bearers of God who've been redeemed by Christ, who have been forgiven, who have been given new life. Who have the certain promise of a resurrected future because they're in Christ who was resurrected, and so we will one day be resurrected as well. Two types of people. It isn't by doing good works that you move from being in Adam to being in Christ. It's through believing. So you are in Adam by birth, but you come to be in Christ by faith. In, in Adam, death wins. That's the point of this passage. In Christ, life wins. In Adam, we are spiritually dead, In Christ, we are made alive spiritually. In Adam, death wins. Death rules. In Christ, life wins and life rules. In Adam, eternal judgment. In Christ, eternal life. The most common description, now maybe you say, I haven't really heard this before, this is kind of different to me. Listen, did you know that the most common description of a Christian in the Bible is not Christian? The word Christian, which I'm fine with that word, it's fine, but it's only used like three times in the Bible. So it's not the common designation of a Christian. The most common designation, especially in Paul's writings, of a Christian is someone who's in Christ. This is how he talks about it someone who is in Christ, someone who is with Christ, someone who is joined to Christ. What does that mean? All the benefits of Christ are yours by by gift. It means that his death, if you're in him with him, you're forgiven by his death. If you're in him with him, you'll be resurrected just as he was resurrected. If you're in him with him, then he dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. So it's an intimate, relational term. It's also a representative term of of being in solidarity with him, that his actions bring blessing and life to us. This is good news for people who are in Adam who cannot clean themselves up. You cannot get religious. You cannot clean yourself up. You cannot just start getting moral. You cannot start doing enough good deeds to join yourself to Christ. You are only with him, in him, joined to him by the gift of grace, by believing, by reaching out and believing what he has done for you. If you are with him, your greatest enemy is dead. Jesus justifiably can say to death, you are dead to me. Jesus defeated death as we read earlier trounced death, annihilated death by coming out of the grave in resurrection power. And all who are in him will experience the same true resurrection one day. So, because death is our greatest enemy, because death is our greatest fear, Easter delivers the greatest hope. How is that? Well, first of all, we just saw in this passage that his resurrection guarantees ours, and then here would be the second idea in this passage. His resurrection guarantees the renewal of all things. So I'm going to move off just us, just you and just me, and I want to talk about history. I want to talk about the future. I want to talk about, well, I don't even want to talk about the world. I want to go not just like international. I want to go cosmic. Cosmic. The resurrection is the first domino that sets in motion the unstoppable progress of life over death. You look around and you see death, you see destruction, you see harm and pain and tears and abuse, and it's very real and it may get worse before it gets any better. I don't know. But I want to tell you this life is spreading, life is moving. Life is invading death. Light is coming into the darkness. And the first domino was Jesus' resurrection. When Jesus came out of the grave, he defeated death and then he began to impart life, new life, spiritual life to those who would believe in him, taking them from death to life. I hope you know that's the message of Easter. The message of Easter is not how can bad people become good, it's how can Dead people become alive. It's how can those under the power of death in Adam, slaves to death, captured by death, destined for death, how can they come and experience the explosion of life in their soul that will grant them the sure hope of eternal life? Listen, that is your greatest need today. I may not know you, but with all due respect, and I trust uh, with, with a large measure of compassion, you may be facing all kinds of difficulty today, your marriage may be on its last string. Your patience with your kids may be on your last nerve. Your finances may be uh, d- depleted. Your health prognosis, the prognosis over your life may be, may be uh, fearful. I don't know. Your background, what was done to you, the sin committed upon you may, may haunt you. There's like a black heaviness over you. You may face all of that and and maybe many, many other things, but your greatest need, your greatest problem, your greatest difficulty is spiritual death and the soon approaching physical death that you will face. Your greatest need is how can I be right with God? And the only way you can be right with God is by being connected to Christ, the representative who dies for believers and is raised for us and imparts new life to us. And when you do, life spreads to you. Jesus' death is much bigger than just me and my personal Christian. I'm all for, I've been talking about this, I'm all for personal faith, you personally being in Christ. But Jesus' death is from something much greater than that. It's for the renewal of all things. It's for the restoration of all that was lost in the garden. It's for making right all that has been wrong. It is for bringing justice to all injustices. It's to bring life The realm of life to rule where currently the realm of death rules. Folks, this is urgent. This is important. This this is vital. Outside, we have just experienced a change of seasons. And I know that because the flowers are in bloom. the, The trees have green leaves. And my nose is running like a river pardon the graphic nature of that illustration, but that's how I know. That's how I know that we are in spring. And just as the seasons change around us, do you know in salvation history, there is a change of seasons. When, when, when Adam and Eve sinned and defied God and death came to rule and reign, that became winter. A w- deep winter set in. Now, there was a promise that God would send a Redeemer, but there was winter that set in. When Christ came out of the grave, spring began, and the first blooms came out, the first flowers with their color. It it may have been small at first, because many may not have seen or known, but the first signs of new life came, and there is coming a full-blown colorful abundant vital lush spring that will cover the entire universe when Christ returns and all of those in him will blossom into new life in a resurrection body like Christ's that's the promise of scripture the blossoms are beginning to show and one day the universe will be in full bloom when is that well verse 23 tells us each in his own order Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. He is the first one, as we said earlier, and there's a harvest after him. And when he comes, as part of the harvest, there will be the spreading of life through the defeat, the utter final defeat of death. Look at verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. His last enemy to be destroyed is death. At Christ's return, the dead in Christ will rise and receive a resurrection body like his. And then he will restore and renew his creation with a new heavens and a new earth. He will usher in. This new heaven, new earth, he will renew all things and all the effects of dying and suffering and hurting and pain will be reversed and all be remade under the joyous rule of the creator who spoke it into existence to begin with, the Lord Jesus Christ. And sin and death which touch everything we know. Sin and death, the fall, which affects everything around us, will be done away with, defeated, and destroyed. I love this quote from David Garland. He said, it has been said that graveyards remind us of the brevity of life. Jesus' resurrection reminds us of the brevity of death. Listen, all we know is death in this life. We don't know anybody that makes it out of death. All we know is decay. Look, I'm getting older. Some of you are young. You're like, oh, what are you talking about? You're going to get older if, if the Lord lets you live, and you're going to start feeling the decay daily when you wake up. You're going to start feeling the death and the decay and the ache and the mental fog where I can't remember what I did just now. It's going to all come to you. It's the, it's the dying away that comes to all of us. We all experience this. Death is around us, but the resurrection reminds us that this is just for a little while. The reign of death is temporary. The reign of death will not last. The brevity of death is before us when we see Jesus come out of that grave. The empty tomb tells us that Death's season of rain is coming to an end, and life will reign in Jesus Christ. He is renewing all things, and here's the reality. You can get in on this you can either live as you are, continue as you are, assume that you're right, assume that I can do my own thing, take your chances that God is not true, that what he says is not real, and continue in Adam. And I want to tell you under the authority of God's word that you will face a certain death and destruction, and condemnation, and judgment for eternity. Or you can say, Jesus came out of the grave, life has sprung, and the renewal of all things is beginning. He's the first domino, and dominoes are fallen, and life is spreading, and there's coming a day when he returns, and I want to be in on that. I want my heart renewed now. I want to taste renewal. I don't want to steep in death. I want to steep in life. When you believe in Christ, the very presence of God comes to live in you. So in verse 26, it says his last enemy is death. He will finally once and for all do away with death. But in the meantime, even now, even, Paul says, even where our bodies are dying, we're being renewed on the inside. So there's old, decrepit people, not unlike myself and Bob on the front row here, uh, there are old, decrepit people in this room whose bodies are fading, but inside we're being renewed by the grace of God. We're more alive than we've ever been. Young person, you can have that promise that as your body fades, your spirit is becoming more and more alive, anticipating the day of his return when you will see him and live forever, when your very resurrection body will, the Bible says, radiate the glory of God. What does that look like? I don't know. If you saw the glory of God, you'd be disintegrated, but you're going to radiate that for eternity. Life, life. Christ has defeated death by his resurrection, and he will turn to renew all things. And if you've not experienced that renewing, that forgiveness in Christ, that new life in Christ, it's tangible, it's real, it's experiential. Now and forever. If you've not experienced that, you can experience the renewal of all things beginning in you today. And how do you do that? Well, you recognize that I'm in Adam. What does that mean? That I'm a sinner. That I have disobeyed God. That I have left good undone and I have done wrong. And you can ask his forgiveness. You can come to him and ask him to forgive you and to give you new life to turn from your sin and turn to him. And when you do that, his spirit comes to live in you. Your sins will be forgiven. You begin to experience his power, the renewal of all things. You will still have trouble in this life. You may have more trouble. I'm not selling you a bill of goods that's saying that if you become a Christian, your problems will go away. The experiences of many in the New Testament and many in the world today is that becoming a Christian made their life much worse, like they were decapitated and became a martyr. There are martyrs all over the world today who becoming a Christian did not help them, their external circumstances. I I don't know that there'll be any martyrdom in our country for our faith anytime soon. I'm not predicting martyrdom if you come to Christ, but I, I am saying this, there's no promise, this isn't a prosperity gospel, that you believe in Jesus and all your diseases go away right now and your bank account fills up and everybody loves you okay? That, that, that is not what the Bible teaches. But it does say this, that in all of your trouble, that God is with you, that you know the God who created you, that you have sustaining grace, that you have his presence, that you have his power, that you have his people. When you become one in Christ, you become one with his people as well. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and all of his people joined, and in a local church in particular joined, and then to be joined with all his people in all creation in a new heaven and new earth. That's the great hope of Easter. And so you can receive that now. You can receive a clean conscience. You can receive hope. You can receive forgiveness. You can receive the very presence of God. The Bible teaches that we are believers are in Christ, but also Christ is in us. We're in him. He's in us. And it does not get any better than that, this side of his return, regardless of circumstances. So you can know him today. Because death is our greatest enemy, Easter delivers our greatest hope. His resurrection guarantees our own. I, I want to close with just reading really what's almost the closing verses of the Bible. It's in the second to last chapter of the Bible. And in this second to last chapter, John describes what it will be like that he's making all things new. So the idea was from this text that, that, uh, that uh, the resurrection of Jesus Uh, is the guarantee that he will make all things new. And that will be the defeat of death and the giving of life. So in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, this is what the person in Christ has to look forward to. This is the defeat of our enemy. This is the presence of our victor. This is our Jesus in his glory and what he will do for all believers. Listen to this hope. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. This is what's happening. This is, he is making all things new. What's this world coming to? The total subjection to Jesus Christ who will rule and who will reign over all and you can begin to experience that renewal today you can move on your own direction denying him in your pathway being your own man your own woman to face the destiny in front of you or you can turn and receive his gift receive renewal and new life today in Jesus through faith with the certain hope of Easter because death is our great concern, our great enemy, and for many of us, our greatest fear. But Easter delivers the greatest hope in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.